business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, we have a great guest today, and I don't know where to even begin to describe this guy. Uh, he is a former U.S. Army Ranger and Apache helicopter uh, pilot. He also has his MBA from MIT, uh, worked at a global management consulting firm, McKinsey & Company, which is a behemoth of a consulting uh, organization, but is now the CEO and co-founder at Jane Technologies, which is the cannabis industry's only complete online marketplace. And next to the Dosekis guy, he might be the most interesting guy alive, I think, with uh, where he's been, what he's doing now. Uh, so from Santa Cruz, California, I know our audience will love hearing the modern-day philosophies of Socrates Rosenfeld. So, Socrates, welcome to the show, man. Patrick, what a what an introduction. Thanks, man. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, you bet. So I, I got to say this first. Um, we were just talking about this literally before we started recording here. A mutual friend had, had introduced us, or he had thrown your name out there when I'd started talking with um, – with my friend Jay about doing a podcast and launching a podcast. And we were talking about kind of the whole premise of it, of talking through, you know, interesting people's journey, you know, whether they're business leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever it may be, uh, just looking for a phenomenal story. And he said, he started telling me your story. And I said, I got to meet this guy. I absolutely got to meet this guy if this is his story and get him on the show. So, so super excited to talk through as far as how in the world, you know, do you go from um, MIT to consulting to flying uh, helicopters for the military into now running an online cannabis company? So, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, uh, you're currently CEO at Jane Technologies, but uh, before we dive back into your past, Socrates, I want to start off by really, really dissecting kind of Jane Technologies, uh, what your company really offers and, and really what makes your company so unique in such a fast developing industry, but um, also one that a lot of people aren't really knowledgeable in. Yes. Um, and thanks for that, Patrick. We, and I'm, I'm excited to get into the conversation about the, the past because it's been a, a, a wild journey up until this point. <clears throat> it doesn't seem like it's going to get any less wild here moving forward, um, which is fun. But really, what what Jane Technologies is, we are a um, we are a technology company really focused on digitizing retail. And what we mean by that is, can we take uh, you know existing retail infrastructure like a brick and mortar store, or even more specifically, in the cannabis industry, a dispensary, um, and take all the products sitting on a, on a dispensary store shelf and make that available in real time. Uh, with as much convenience as curation as one would expect on any other digital platform like Amazon or Airbnb, except now allowing the modern digital consumer the same way to shop for their cannabis like they shop for everything else. And so how we do that is unique in the sense where, you know, we, we now support about 1,700 dispensaries across 33 state markets. Wow. Um, which is close to about 40% of the market here in the United States. But unlike an Amazon, it's it's not like we have our own products that we ship to folks in North Dakota or Massachusetts. Instead, what we do is we actually provide fully automated e-commerce technology to small businesses, which are these retailers, state to state to state here in this industry, 
And in providing them this e-commerce solution, not only are we allowing them to digitize their existing retail operation, and you know, given current day and age here with COVID, a small business, their ability to digitize is, is paramount, is critical. But now what we're able to do is you can be in Denver, Colorado, or San Francisco, or uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and search for cannabis however you want to search for it on iheartjane.com. You can search for things like a specific strain, or you can type in things like edibles. You can even get sp really specific and say gluten-free or vegan edibles. And so uh, really what we're trying to do is allow for consumers, no matter their experience in this space, to access and shop online for cannabis. And then on the flip side of that, allow analog retail brick and mortar businesses the opportunity to actually digitize their operations rather than try to compete with a tech company that we see, you know, in, in the restaurant industry or against mm -hmm. Amazon, we're trying to create something a little bit different. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, yeah. I mean, you think of how big digitizing everything is now, you know, especially this is end of October as we're recording this, you know, with the winter COVID uh, pandemic supposedly about to take off again here, you know, of, you know, the importance of businesses getting into that digital space and, and pushing their product out with, with so much less foot traffic through their stores. Exactly. You know, taking a step back and taking actually a step outside of the cannabis industry. Um, and, and this isn't, you know, these are, this is all businesses, not just cannabis businesses, but for really since the, the, the dot-com era back in those, the late nineties, early two thousands, when you had companies like Amazon emerge, we have really been anchored as consumers to think of the online world as mutually exclusive and completely separate, if not in direct competition to the offline world, right? So when you buy something on Amazon, you're actually, that product is probably sitting somewhere in a brick and mortar store. Mm -hmm. But because Amazon is so convenient, you can get that product to you with such efficiency and you have purchasing power, you can read reviews, you can compare by price, et cetera. 10 out of 10 times, we defer to these direct-to-consumer businesses like Amazon. What we see, though, is in cannabis, we can't do that. And we also see this massive shift now due to, the, to COVID and this pandemic where we're on the brink of having retail going, go extinct because these small businesses, not only are they trying to fight for their you know, livelihood, but now you can't even go into the store anymore. I can't walk through uh, a, a, my local hardware store and pick through the hammers and the screwdrivers, mm -hmm. right? So what am I going to do? I'm just going to go on Amazon and, and find that because it's a lot easier and safer for me to do so. What we're creating, though, is an option, another option for the consumer. Not for everything, but for some things. And we're starting it here in cannabis. And we, we see that and we believe that we are on the cutting edge of what we believe to be the future of e-commerce. And that is, can consumers find that screwdriver or that ball peen hammer, but instead of going on amazon.com to find that, can they source the hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of hardware stores around the world that has that specific skew? You know, we think that could be, be done. We're doing it here in cannabis. And we think that applies to potentially other retail verticals down the road. Okay. Awesome. No, it's a super, super interesting concept. And yeah, everything's definitely moving that direction. I mean, one, one for sure cannot argue that. 
So let's let's talk about just cannabis in general uh, before we kind of dive back into your past. Um, so cannabis, I know uh, you describe it as nothing, nothing like it's presented to you as a kid in the Dare program. And you know when I when I think of cannabis, you know I can't help but think of Dave Chappelle in the movie Half Baked with him and Jim Brewer. You know, and <laughs> and and I just kind of laughed to myself, um, but. You, you obviously, you know, with, with the product you guys are pushing and, and such, there's, there's a way more to it than that. And there's a side that people don't see. Correct. Yes. And, and, and I'm not speaking, uh, you know, uh, for anybody else, I'm just simply speaking from my own experience and sorry, Patrick, if this gets kind of into, uh, my background a little bit, but no, that's fine. Um, I think it's, imp- I think it is important because I was a, a, a child of the D.A.R.E. program. I, you know, wanted to be a firefighter when I grew up and then ended up, uh, you know, uh, going to West Point. I, I um, was an athlete all my life. I, I share that w- with you just to say I, I was a kind of a, a straight, narrow kind of person. And I thought I was convinced uh, through the D.A.R.E. program and others that if I tried cannabis, that I would be dumb, uh, that I would become lazy, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and we laugh about the half-baked movie, and, and that is how this plant was portrayed. And uh, obviously, like most things in Hollywood, you know, you take something and you magnify it to the nth degree um, because that's what, that's what sells movies. And I would, I would hope one day, I, I, I hope, Patrick, that I can uh, hang out with Dave Chappelle and uh, have a real totally conversation on, on kind of, yeah, right. What, the, what plant medicine has done for him. And I would, I would venture to say that he would probably say it has, it, he experiences it very differently than, than as represented in half baked, mm-hmm. but you even take th- this product that was thought to be uh, a bad or et, et cetera. And, and after I tried it, that was not the case. In fact, m- more, the more research I did, the more I realized that some of the, most innovative people in this world, the most visionary people in this world. And quite frankly, some of the smartest people I just know in, in, in my everyday day-to-day circles have consumed cannabis. Um, but really, I think what, what um, I, I want to communicate is we all, we all know that this, this product is no longer this um, very linear, surficial, have a good time kind of product. You know, and I go back to that that um, half baked movie, which is one of my favorite movies, by the way. It's very funny. <laughs> but but even right, like even sitting down and consuming a joint and laughing with your friends, that in and of itself is some kind of therapy. And you could argue that it's bringing you some level of wellness and well being. And so even if you take that, I'm not talking about the, the, the folks who, who provide this for their children who suffer from epileptic seizures. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the folks who use this who have stage four cancer and have found that RSO, Rick Simpson oil, is like the only thing that provides them therapy and well-being. Just kind of people sitting on the couch smoking a joint or you know, going for a walk or watching the sunset we're all talking about a spectrum of wellness or well-being. And I think as we get smarter and more educated about this plant, we realize now it's not just 
medical or recreational or, you know, this, this binary experience. It's on this spectrum of wellness. It's on this spectrum of well-being. And maybe on one side of the spectrum, you know, it's real, has real medicinal benefits to it. On the other side of the spectrum, it just might make you feel good. It might make you have a, a good night's sleep. Could you argue that that is recreational? Sure. Could you also argue that's perhaps has some medicinal, medicinal yeah. therapeutic properties there? Of course, right? So this is what I've realized with my own personal experience. And now, you know, I'm, I'm learning alongside millions of Americans who are now realizing, huh, maybe this isn't just something that you take and get giggly and, and oh, maybe it makes you dumb. Maybe it doesn't do any of that stuff. Maybe this will help me with my arthritis. Maybe this will help me with my anxiety. This will help me go get some sleep. You know, those are the things that I think um, we're starting to see surface. And, and hopefully a, as a platform, IRJane, um, we can meet the market of, of where it needs to be met and educate the consumer on things that, you know, maybe it's not so much about the potency and how quote unquote high you get, but maybe it's more about the full terpene profile of the product and in this general sense of well-being. So um, it's exciting to see how far we've come in, in such a short amount of time. And I think that's just even more exciting and indicative of, of, how big this industry could get and, and how on the spectrum of wellness, how many people it could potentially affect, which is it, exciting. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy how fast the industry has taken off. I mean, you look at just in the last couple of years of how fast it has grown and the right. money that has been dumped into investing in it is, is crazy, you know, and you know, I've I'll, straight up honest, I've never smoked a joint in my life. I've been around a lot of people that have, um, but um, it's it's intriguing because, you know, it's been around for years and years. I mean, centuries, you know, people have been smoking cannabis or hemp, you know, in, in some way, shape or form or, you know, derivatives of it and such. And, right. you know, there's there's absolute medicinal purposes. I definitely won't argue that one bit. So I'm, I'm curious when, you know, you said you're a pretty straight and narrow guy, straight and narrow kid. When were you kind of first exposed to it? I was first, honestly, I was first exposed to it in high school. You know, I, I, I would be at a, a party or something like that. And, um, kids would be smoking a joint. Um, I, I was, it, it terrified me to be honest with you. I was, you know, I, I didn't have an older brother, so I, I didn't, I didn't know what was good, what was bad. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just kind of focused on being an athlete and, uh, being a good student. Cause I, you know, I thought, that's what I needed to be focusing on at the time. And then uh, I, I went, ended up going to West Point. Obviously, there's not a lot of uh, cannabis being consumed at West Point, if at all. Um, uh, and then I was in the Army. And um, my, my seven years on active duty, obviously never exposed to that. I had soldiers, you know, we would test for it in the, in the military. And um, if you tested... Uh, uh, for it that you had consumed cannabis, you'd most likely be, be out of the army. And so that was the, the, the closest I got to it. And then I got out of the service, was 29 years old. I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do next. Um, I was extremely fortunate to be able to go back home and kind of um, hang out with my family for a year as I figured out who I was. And I had thought, 
and I would say in retrospect, mistakenly thought and assumed that because I, um, you know, my body felt relatively okay. Um, I had some sad times in the military, but I, I, you know, I, I, I was a pilot. I wasn't in any kind of direct fire. Um, you know, I wasn't an infantryman. I thought, you know, I, I had already done only one tour. I haven't done multiple tours. So I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to be able to take the uniform off and become a civilian again. And, uh, that will be no problem. It'll be like getting stationed at a new base, except, you know, this is just a civilian location. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, to be honest with you, Patrick, I, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, um, I remember I was out and I was applying to business school and everything I did in that application process was as though I was, I mean, my physiological being, my response was as though I was going to combat again. Like I had every decision I made was the most important life and death decision. And uh, I couldn't turn that intensity level down. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, my wife actually who grew up in Vancouver, Canada and my brother and a close friend um, basically said, Hey, if you want to try it, try cannabis. It's been known to have very therapeutic relax, you know, relaxation effects. If you can't relax, well, why don't you give this a shot? And uh, you know, I was resistant at first. And then finally I was like, you know what? I I might as well, if I'm going to be so resistant to something, I might as well try it for myself so that I can confirm my resistance. And I did. And it was actually the opposite of my anticipated uh, effect. And it, 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 it really, I will say I hadn't felt that relaxed since before the army. And, and even then I hadn't felt that relaxed since I was a child really is what I wow. experienced. And um, it did two things for me at that point, Patrick. One, obviously, it sent me off this this path of wanting to understand cannabis and uh, talking to other military veterans and talking to others who found such benefit to this plant and consuming it and really shifting my, my, my perception of what cannabis was. But you know what else it did? And I think more importantly was for the first time in a very long time in my life, I remember I was 29 years old. I've been a West Pointer. I was a captain. I was a commander in combat. And for the first time in a very long time in my life, after I consumed cannabis, I remember thinking to myself, wow, what other things in my life have I just taken on face value to be true that I myself haven't really myself had conviction around? Mm-hmm. And, um, there were many other things in my life that, that, you know, that opened up many other doors to say, wow, why am I doing this? Or why am I not doing this? And then if you unpack that, you know, it's, it's because you believe others to tell you what the truth is rather than kind of finding the truth for yourself. And so that experience really opened up a lot of doors for me. And I'm, I haven't looked back since that's for sure. Wow. So it, it really, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a PTSD thing. Do you think it was just something about how you're kind of, you know, between maybe a combination of being that straight and narrow kid, teenager, young adult, like you mentioned, and then is it, was part of it just kind of how you're rewired in the military too? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, and I wasn't diagnosed with post-traumatic stress 
but I, I would imagine that I've had some traumatic stress in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I know I have. And what the military teaches you, because as a, as a helicopter pilot, I can't experience emotion as I'm flying and doing my mission or leading my soldiers. I have to, because it's unnatural what we're trying to do and accomplish. We're, we're going and doing things that to the Norman, normal human being is extremely unnatural, if not extremely terrifying. And we are taught and trained to suppress that or ignore those emotions or, you know, compartmentalize. What we are not taught to do is feel those emotions. And so what I believe post-traumatic stress is, is not, okay, there are some that have had an acute traumatic experience, getting in a car accident, those sorts of things, absolutely. But there are, you know, how many of us have lived lives where we have had to suppress emotion, suppress real sadness, suppress real fear or shame, whatever that, whatever natural emotions come up. And as a veteran, we are trained to do that over and over and over and over again until your cup is too full. And eventually you're going to need to experience it. And what cannabis and other plant-based medicines have done for me, at least, is it allowed me to experience it from a place of self-empathy and non-judgment. It has allowed me to experience those emotions fully and not judge those emotions. And after I have felt those emotions, now I can get past them. Now I can make peace with whatever in my life caused me that trauma and in turn make peace within myself so I can bring peace to others. This is what cannabis has done for me and so many other veterans and why, you know, I, 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 I feel so strongly about not that this should be mandatory for veterans, but certainly this should be made an available legal safe option for those coming home from combat. And I would argue whether or not you saw combat and quite frankly, whether or not you've been in the military, you've probably lived a life where you've had to suppress some emotions and it's either too painful or too sad or whatever that is to go and visit those emotions and, and plant-based therapies usually um, have been proven to help. They certainly have within my own self. Wow. That that's deep, man. I, I, I love it because <laughs> I love the part you said about just the truth about oneself, because I do think, I do think so many people fail to, really unpack themselves, their emotions, and like you said, really allow themselves to feel things. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, I think, honestly, Socrates, try things like cannabis or painkillers or things like that because they're so numbed out and they're looking for something that will take them out of that phase of their life or that feeling in their life, really. Exactly, Patrick. And I've been on, I've taken pharmaceutical prescription drugs and I've taken plant-based medicine and you're exactly right about numbing out with alcohol and Oxycontin and Percocet and, and they're 22 on average. And, and I, I don't really like throwing this number out there. I'll, I'll just say this. There are many veterans committing suicide every single day that are, that are on these pills and numbed out. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, the plant-based medicine, particularly cannabis, actually does the inverse of that. 
you can't numb out. You actually feel. Um, and learning how to feel and be okay with the feeling and knowing that you're actually safe, it's okay to feel. That's a powerful, powerful moment in a veteran's healing journey. Um, and I think in anyone's healing journey is really being able to, to tap into that feeling versus exactly like you said, numbing out. Mm-hmm. What do, what do you, let me ask you this. What do you think, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of veterans suffer with PTSD and things like that. And, and there's a reason they're looking for something, but why do you think your average person is, you know, what leads us to, what leads us to that not feeling just life in general? Is it just because of the, you know, do you think it's because of the pace of life because we're just a hundred miles an hour and we never stop to think, to feel, to enjoy the moment, to live in the moment? Um, why do you think that is? You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to answer that for myself, Patrick. It's a great question. I, I think um, I think a few things. Obviously, in today's day and age, you know, it's very easy for us to distract ourselves. You know, we 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 can't stand in line for five minutes without pulling out a phone. Mm-hmm. Hell, half of us can't even visit the bathroom without you know. <laughs> using Very a phone true. and distracting ourselves, right? From the moment, sorry to get so graphic, but that is that is something that I think all of us need to be present and aware of. And, and it's a tough one because, the, the you know, as they say, it's tough to stand still on a, on a moving train. You know, the world is moving at that pace. It's It's a challenge. And so for me, coming back to nature has always been that kind of balancing it helps balance the scale. I think though you, you hit something where we all, we have all experienced, you know, I don't, I, and I love my parents and they've done the best they could, but there have been times where just as a young child, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, don't cry. Or, um, you know, you, you, you don't get angry or, you know, yeah. Don't feel the emotion. Be quiet. Exactly. Um, or, you know, in, in high school, you know, lose, you know, getting your heart broken or whatever those things are, not, not feeling them. Again, maybe not expressing them in the moment is one thing. Sure. Maybe you don't want to, you know, get really angry around people, but anger is okay. If you are present with the anger and let that go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I think there's a, there's a combination of, kind of where we are in, in today's society and also kind of how we are as a, as a human race, you know, it's, you know, we, we tell kids it's, Hey, be quiet. Don't, don't cry. Don't do these things. And and sometimes maybe the child doesn't know that they can go back and revisit whatever it is that made them sad or angry. Um, I don't know. And again, I, I, I know my mother is rolling her eyes right now because uh, <laughs> I don't have children. She's saying, okay, you know, here you are talking out of turn again, but I, I think there's something around that where, you know, not, not, not allowing young children to express how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just gets compounded over time. You know, how many of us have sat in an office and really wanted to express how we really felt, but couldn't, yeah. um, or, or had a very sad, moment happened to us or heartbreak moment we've all experienced that and we couldn't for whatever reason we couldn't really go to that through that feeling um you know that that all builds up and again something that 
that cannabis helps, at least for me, helps me revisit and process and again, truly feel that feeling and, and move past it, move through it, I should say. Yeah, I know we, we have a daughter that's just about four and that's a big that's a big item we really stress with her is asking her, what are you feeling? You know, and she'll she'll openly tell Beautiful. us like she'll she'll tell us like I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling tired and then we ask questions around it, you know, why are you feeling that way? And I think a ton of adults never ask themselves that question. Why am I feeling how exactly. the hell I'm feeling in the moment? You know, I'm angry oh. or I'm anxious or I'm stressed, but you know, that we never slow down enough, you know, and you said the word, you said a word uh, I actually wrote down here as you were, as you were talking, distract, you know, we are so used to distracting ourselves that it's, it's so ingrained in us as habit that we distract ourselves to the extent where we never stop to identify what we're feeling and why we're feeling it. So therefore we never, we never deal with it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and um, you know, to, to tie that to Jane, we we are as a collective team. We we have create we have worked very hard to create and protect a space that is safe for others to feel however they're feeling. And I know that sounds so hokey, but <laughs> you know, yep. we should ask ourselves why why that why why does that actually sound weird or cliched or you know whatever the the adjective is that should actually i i I want to be parts of that i we all love families you know we've all have family get-togethers perhaps maybe not all of us where we can't be our true selves and then we have you know friends that we can be our true selves around wow how freeing is that yeah how wonderful is that yeah and and as a company you know we we try to maintain that which is i think really a driver of our success at least uh, so far yeah, and you think about people that you meet, you know, you think about the people that you meet along this this walk in life in general, and those people that are just, you know, people label them as free spirits, you know. Everyone's got the, the crazy aunt or uncle in your family, you know, that's kind of the free, wacky spirit, and, uh, you know, you appreciate that, I think. At least I know. I do anyway. Appreciate the people that are just like, you know what, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I know myself. I don't care if you like me, if you don't like me, if you resonate with my personality or not. This is who I am and what I'm going to be, and that's just that's just, and I'm just putting it out there. That's that's who I am. Exactly right. So okay, so it was post military, and then uh, you had MIT. I mean, come into the mix here somewhere, getting your MBA from MIT. Yes, um, that's. Uh... That school, my my brother and co-founder, our CTO, he's my younger brother by six six and a half years. Oh, okay. And um, when I got out of the service, he had just graduated uh, his undergrad from MIT and was going back for his master's in computer science. And I remember thinking to myself, "There's no way MIT would ever let me get go to this school." Um, but uh, I, I, as I started to research the program, the more I realized that, you know, this is what business school was meant to do, was meant to take a veteran like myself who didn't know, quote, unquote, anything about business. And in two years, expose myself to different case studies and methods and learning and hearing from wonderful professors and, and, and CEOs, uh, whether present or of the past, speak. You know, I felt pretty comfortable and confident that 
I had, I wanted to get into technology and I really, really wanted to start my own company with my brother one day. Um, I didn't have the idea uh, at the time. It was just a, you know, a, a knowing that one day I was going to give this a shot with, with Abe. And I, I shifted out to Silicon Valley where I was very fortunate enough to, to go to uh, McKinsey. And during my time at McKinsey, I was put on these studies with tech companies. And um, it was from there that I started to understand different models and technology, different marketplace strategies, where e-commerce was today, where it was 20 years ago, where I think it was going to go. And I remember calling up my brother um, who was at another startup at the time and, and giving him this idea. And he said, this is too good. We have to try this. And um, yeah, we're really glad we did. It's been a dream come true. That's for sure. And, and it really, you know, forever grateful to institutions like MIT and McKinsey for taking a shot on me. And um, you know, my other co-founders, we have three others, two of them came from MIT Sloan. So they were classmates with, of mine We've had a, a case study written about our business and now taught to uh, first-year MBA students wow. um, back at MIT. So it's uh, it's been a wonderful journey, and um, you know, if you if you knew my GPA at West Point, you would definitely uh, it would give people hope if they had a <laughs> you know a less than stellar uh, GPA. So there you go. <laughs> oh, funny. So I know um, I know some of the some of your favorite books uh, that you had mentioned previously were the everything store shoe dog the four you know so you're which are all all based around you know your big entrepreneurs jeff bezos i mean phil knight with nike um so were were those things something that came into your life as an influence as to and kind of sparked the idea of going down this this route of online cannabis or were, were those items that were kind of along the journey as you had started and really kind of helped you get the get the ball rolling i guess yeah, that's a great question, man. Uh, it, it was more of the latter. Um, usually what happens in my life is, you know, I will, I will just, I will continue to go wherever there I, I'm curious and wherever I, I find interest. Um, and you know, you couldn't pay me enough money to read a, a business book, uh, before business school perhaps even during business school, if you ask some of my classmates. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really wasn't until I now was going to start my own business that I wanted to learn about journeys of other entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs. Um, and each one defines success very differently. And that's what I've realized. So I wanted to understand what was the story of Jeff Bezos and Amazon? You know, how, how did he build this model where there will never be another amazon.com ever built ever again. He's done a wonderful job of kind of positioning his business to that. I wanted to know how do you, how does someone like Phil Knight, who's not a artist or a designer. In fact, he was just a, just a, a, a collegiate runner really and a salesperson. How does he build one of the most prolific brands in the world? And, and you realize throughout that journey, that it's, you know, you can't help but have the chapter where you sold your product out of your living room or uh, tr- trunk of your car. You know, there, it is part of this journey, this entrepreneurial journey. That's what it taught me. The Four is really a very interesting book. I think it's written by a professor at NYU 
where he looks and analyzes businesses in a completely from a di- completely different perspective than really anyone else I've ever heard of. And it taught me that, you know, what, how do you define your business and why? And based on how you see yourself, that is really kind of how you're going to take the next adjacencies and grow your business. If you see yourself as an e-commerce business, you're going to build more e-commerce. If you see yourself as a luxury brand like Apple, that's his argument, you're going to build your business in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was very interesting to me. And, you know, one, one book that uh, is not a business book that one has kind of, that, that has stuck to me. I always go back to and, and use uh, when I talk to my team is endurance is this journey of um, Ernest Shackleton in his, uh, in his exploration of, of, of uh, South Pole, the right? Arctic. And he, I think, he, yeah, exactly. The, the, the South Pole and, um, yeah, crazy story there. Traverse it with, with this boat. Yeah, but th- that is that is the entrepreneurial journey, one moment at a time, one foot in front of the other. You know, taking care of your team, not losing faith, putting over the te- the team over the individual. All these different things. That is, um, that's what it's all about, and that's how we survive. And so, yeah, for me, it's always been I have an interest, and then I will just devour as much knowledge as possible, um, and then probably move on to the next. But yeah, I've probably read way too many business books that would surprise my, my old business school professors, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and any any listeners that have not dove into the story of uh, Shackleton and his exploration of of the South Pole and, and crossing uh, the Arctic, it's wild. It is absolutely, uh, or Antarctic, I guess, it's absolutely crazy of how that team did not die. I mean, it is it is ridiculous. <laughs> it's a ridiculous story of resilience and persistence and... And, uh, yeah, I could go on and on. But so how how did you see Socrates, I mean, going into starting this business? I mean, you're you're not just starting a business. I mean, you're launching into, I mean, the absolute unknown in that industry. I mean, something that's so volatile at the time. I mean, it's up and coming. You have no idea where it's going to be. I mean, from a legal standpoint even, how did you go into that and really evaluate risk, you know, of, of starting that business? You know, the risk versus uncertainty and what you don't know. Yeah. So there's this, um, it's a great question. There's uh, this gentleman, his name is Dave Rue. I think he's the founder of Silver Lake. Brilliant, brilliant business mind. And I've been, I've had the, the um, fortunate experience to be able to sit down with him uh, and he, hear him speak. And he talks about the, there's a real difference between risk and uncertainty and in the military i'll do my best uh to to kind of take those words and make them my own in in the military you you are taught to to just be obsessed with risk and to minimize risk as much as possible and risk are these on these known risks right the risk for me to quit McKinsey and start in this industry in 2015, I mean, the, the biggest risk was that I was going to get thrown in jail, to be honest with you, because it mm-hmm. was still this gray area market. You know, the risk was that um, I was going to ruin my reputation. The risk was I was going to you know, waste friends and family's money on a, on a business that was just never going to get off the ground. 
I was okay to take that risk, and I did my best to mitigate that risk as much as possible. The uncertainty, though, that is, you know, risk, you, you, you inherently assign a negative coefficient to that, right, to get really nerdy. You're saying this is going to be bad. Uncertainty, though, is neither good nor bad. It is, it's uncertain. So as an entrepreneur, you are taught to play in uncertainty, to almost embrace it. You know, and bringing that back to being a, a helicopter pilot, man, that is like you don't have any uncertainty. You have full, you have full certainty or else you don't launch. Mm-hmm. You try to minimize risk, you know, below a certain level or you don't launch. It's the inverse of that as an entrepreneur. There is more uncertainty than there is certainty. So you either better be able to embrace that or go get a nine to five job. And what I've realized is the way to approach uncertainty is to, you know, really try to, you know, make, make your assumptions, uh, assign different probabilities to that. But then at the end of the day, as uh, this is probably more simply put is you take whatever it is, that is at your disposal and you try to position your business as best as possible at that stage. And then whatever adjacencies open up after that and whatever uncertainties emerge after that, you kind of, you, you do that again and again and again until you start to recognize patterns of, of uncertainty. And then once you start doing that, you can either take full advantage of that or, you know, you, you can start seeing those patterns and saying, okay, Hey, this, this has bit me, in the ass a couple times now. I'm I'm uh, I'm going to assign a a you know a risk to this uncertainty. So uh, probably a more academic answer than you would have liked, but I think something that often a lot of entrepreneurs think uncertainty is bad. You know, uncertainty is very good. Mm-hmm. It, it was uncertain whether or not this industry would legalize over the next you know the previous five years. That was the uncertainty. Yep. It wasn't a risk. And so we, we, we bet on that essentially, you know, we, 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 we tried to make a calculated bet. We had a hypothesis and, and that came out to be true. So that's an example of looking at uncertainty and then positioning your business as best as possible based on all the information you have, you know, presently. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I have some entrepreneur out there as they're looking at their journey and being like, oh, my God, there's nothing but uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually probably a good thing because if it yep. was super certain, someone would have already done it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, that that is the entrepreneurial journey right there. I don't you know, when you mentioned, you know, how much certainty versus uncertainty, man, I don't know if there's any certainty when you when you when you launch a business yeah, as, you a, as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, and that's what makes right. it that's what makes it so exciting. Exactly. And that exactly right. Right. You're, you're launching this podcast. There's so much uncertainty on that, but that's where the excitement is because you're constantly learning and iterating. Mm-hmm. And the goal of an entrepreneur and quite frankly, the CEO or the founder, the leader of, of the, of the team should not be positioning his or her business to where, okay, if you, if that uncertainty actually turns out to be negative, your business is over. It's, it's this game of constant, small, little iterations where you can learn really, really quickly, make mistakes really, really quickly, and then you transform uncertainty into known 
you know, potential. Yeah. And then you can take full advantage of that. Yeah. yeah. How fast can you adapt really is what it's about. How fast can exactly. you overcome failure, pivot, adapt? Because if, if you can exactly if you can right. continue to do that quickly and you're willing to do it over and over and over, you'll never fail. Right. Right. Really that's you know, there's there are no failings, right? There are no failures. There's just learnings. Learning. Constant yep. learnings. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why yeah, you, you might as well love it because there's going to be a lot of mistakes that you're going to make. And if you love what you do, the mistakes are enjoyable, even in some weird, sadistic, masochistic way. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you don't love it, if you're trying to do it for a job or, or a promotion, or if you're trying to do it to make money, then you're not going to be willing to make the mistakes. You're not you're not going to be the Kobe Bryant out there that's going to say, "Hey, I'm I'm here because I want the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to take some shots over and over again, and guess what? I'm going to miss some shots, but it's okay because I I, I want this. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not afraid of this. And uh, you see the best entrepreneurs at the core of it. They want it and they love it, and they want it for the right reasons. Yeah, you, you absolutely have to love and embrace learning as an entrepreneur because that's what so much of it is, and not just at the beginning, I mean, throughout yeah. that entire process. But So what? let me ask you this, Socrates. What was the what was the big catalyst for leaving McKinsey to finally launch the business? I mean, would you, well, would, you, perfect, yeah. would you have done it if you hadn't gotten your MBA and gone through the two years at MIT? I mean, what... Yeah, um, it's a perfect kind of full circle to what we were just talking about. I um, I was an associate at McKinsey. I was on some god awful study uh, in the middle of nowhere, um, and so I was working, you know, a, a, some long days, and I had this little idea, you know, of, of this of of Jane and. It started with, you know, a little one pager that I put together on the weekend. And then, you know, it, I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll put together a business plan because I can't stop thinking about this idea. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, weekend work started to go, you know, early morning and late at night work. And I was doing that for about a year. And, and you know, working full time at McKinsey, you, you, that, that showed me that I loved it because – you know, on my days off, I wanted to work on a business plan. Yep. I didn't want to work on anything else. Um, I, I, you know, you know, your first love when you, 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 you fall in love and you have a crush and that's all, that's all you can think about is that crush and life is good. And no matter what happens, cause your heart is full and you're in love. That's, that's what I had. Yep. And, um, and, um, you know, Monday would hit roll around and I would, you know, have to, begrudgingly kind of go back to the, the slog, the grind. And, uh, you know, this is a wonderful place that is McKinsey is like I'm learning and it's, it's, but, but my heart wasn't in it. And, uh, I remember my wife sitting me down one night and just basically saying, you know, when are you going to give it a shot? Just, you've been talking about it. You've been thinking about this ever since I, I could have, you know, I, I met you, you've been talking about starting a, a, a tech company with your brother now you have an idea in something that you love, you know, and she was a massage therapist. We were living in Palo Alto, you know, massage therapist. 
um, as good as she is, you know, it's not necessarily like uh, there was a lot of money coming in. Mm-hmm. So that was in the back of my mind. Yeah, a lot you know, of that doubt. Was, that was a, that was for me. Yeah, a lot of doubt, a lot of risk, right? A lot of uncertainty in there too. But ultimately, man, if I had not taken that shot, if I had convinced myself not to do it, oh man, that makes me so sad to even think about because what happened was I took a step in the dark and I said, you know what? My heart is telling me this is right, and I'm okay going broke if I just follow this because oh so what at least i gave it a shot right and man and it has worked out so far and i will argue that this has already been a success for me um because i define it differently but what again this what this has taught me was that as long as you love what you do truly and i know again it sounds so cliched but you really it, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter the clothes you have. It, it, you are free and you are happy. And uh, that, that to me will always be the undercurrent, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, um, that serves my life. Um, and, and, um, and really, I never did that. I never took a step in the dark ever until that moment. Yep. I'm yep. from the time I was a kid to West Point to, uh, you know, doing what everybody told me I, they thought I should be doing. That was the safe way. I finally did the way I wanted to go, my way. Um, and I had to look back since, and I'm really grateful I did that. Yeah, it's it's amazing once you enter the entrepreneurial journey and you and you start creating your own thing. How when you go when you used to go to bed at night, you know, you'd wake up kind of dreading what you had to do the next day. And now I don't know about right. you. I don't know about you, but me for sure. It's like I go to bed at night. I can't wait to get up. It's like I don't even want to go to bed a lot of nights because there's just so much to do. There's so much to do, and not and not in a negative way. It's just like you just can't wait to get back at it and keep and keep creating and keep building, or keep building. You know, on on what you've really created and made. Yep, that's exactly right. So let's. You have to be in love with it. Oh, you you absolutely do. Yep, and it's it's not easy. It's a hell of a journey, man. It's tough. I mean, it's it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, but it's true. But uh, there's nothing nothing more more rewarding other than maybe being a father. I'd say, <laughs> in, in my personal I, I, opinion. Yeah, yeah, I've, and I've heard that. And being a father is not easy either. You know, there's a, <laughs> a great quote. So, and, and some some very zen out person said it. It was, you know, pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. And I think as an entrepreneur, you realize that, that, okay, it's going to be hard, but as long as you can get back to the why, then the hard kind of makes sense. Yeah. And the hard is, you know, some, sometimes the, the fact that it's hard, is actually beautiful because there's growth there. Yep. And it's, and it's growth that we all really crave. And I don't think many people realize that, you know, you look at like yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the, the top of the pyramid is self-actualization. You know, the idea of reaching what you are truly, truly capable of. And large majority of people never chase it. Like you said, they don't take that step in the dark. They don't take that one shot towards something that they love, but the the self-doubt holds them back. Exactly. So what's what's the next big thing then for for iHeart Jane? I mean, right now you guys are in cannabis. You're, 
you know, you've talked about potentially expanding into other retail uh, items or uh, industries. What's what's kind of the next big thing on tap for you guys? Yeah, you know, our our, our next big thing is um, we're, we're our focus, at least in the near term, is going to continue to be here in cannabis, um, just because our, our work here is not done. And what I mean by that is, you know, we still have to grow our our our, our digital reach. We're in 1700 stores there's about 4500 stores out there here um, in, the, in the u.s so our focus is, is doing that we really think there's some opportunity to interact with the brands as as this industry is maturing um and and really i think household brands are emerging uh nationally known brands are emerging in a in a market where those brands have very little access to the consumer or, or minimal means to reach the consumer, we want to we want to help with that. We think we can through our digital tools. Um, and then I, I think, you know, ultimately, in the near term, we want to prove to the rest of the world that we have a model that doesn't have to look like all the other models, you know, we've lived with. That uh, a tech company doesn't have to be in direct competition with physical retail um, that a tech company doesn't have to take a large portion of the profit from these small businesses in order for, for the tech company to grow mm-hmm. um, that, that really we can create uh, perhaps, you know, a new chapter in, in e- e-commerce where it's the full integration of, of offline and online. It's the emergence of those two worlds I think that's really our focus, and, and um, I don't think there's a better incubator to prove that out than the cannabis industry. And so we're really excited to continue to do that, and you know, in parallel to that, provide more access to to a plant that helps so many people. It's a dream come true, Patrick. Really. So uh, for us, it's it's the cannabis industry for the next uh, however long we need it to be, and then if we can move to adjacent markets and, and prove to the rest of the world that you know you, you don't just need your can order your cannabis like this, but perhaps other items as well. We'll absolutely do that. Um, so uh, many more miles in this journey, um, but a lot, a lot more growth to be had. That's for sure. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I love the concept that you guys have, and super excited to see where things where things grow. So, well, Socrates, thanks so much for being on here. Uh, you bring up some phenomenal points around just um, you know really taking that one shot. Um, stepping out on that ledge, uh, you know, taking risk and really finding oneself, which I think is so, so important. So where where can our listeners find you and follow you? Um, please reach out to us. Uh, we love hearing from our customers. So if you're listening to Use Jane or have a question about it, uh, reach out to info at iheartjane.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at underscore uh, iheartjane. Um, and, and uh, really just uh, really excited about the future of e-commerce, particularly really excited about the future of this cannabis industry. And maybe one day I'm out there in uh, North Dakota and we can see what a, an adult use market looks like out there in the next few years. It'd be exciting. I'd love it. Yeah, right now, uh, yeah, right now it's not a go in North Dakota, but um, there's a lot of talk as to whether it'll be um, freely legalized here within the next, uh, yeah, within the next short while. I have faith. I have faith. 
<laughs> well, well, thanks again, Socrates, uh, for hopping on here. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, everybody be sure to check him out at uh, iheartjane.com. And uh, with that, don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. Uh, be sure to use subscribe to rate the podcast. Uh, as always, show notes, uh, you can find those on my website at patrick-metzger.com. As always, take a screenshot of today's show. Tag me, tag Socrates, uh, share it with somebody that needs to hear today's message around taking risk, around um, maybe trying cannabis, see if it is for you, and, and really finding oneself and the importance of that. So uh, until next time, I want to remind you to own you and the journey.